Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome again to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond and glad to have you here on this Friday. The week is almost over, but uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm actually really excited about the topic we're going to be talking about today here on the show. So I hope you stay with us for the full hour. It's going to be a really good conversation. And as we begin, what's your favorite soda? Your favorite soft drink? Coca-Cola? Do you go for Pepsi? Are you a Mountain Dew fan? Or maybe... You're loyal to one of those lesser uh, kind of popular brands, maybe a Dr. Pepper or an Orange Crush. Now, if you're old enough, you'll remember when Coca-Cola, they introduced New Coke, and this was back in the spring of 1985. And in the years leading up to that spring, Coca-Cola, they were the best-selling soda in the world, but they'd been gradually losing their lead over other soft drinks. Pepsi, they'd run at the time this very successful marketing campaign called the Pepsi Challenge. And if you remember that, you'd see people on uh, ads on television, self-declared Coke drinkers, who in blind taste tests, they were shocked to learn they actually preferred the flavor of Pepsi over Coke. And Coca-Cola, they did their own internal blind taste tests, and they found the same thing. Pepsi tasted better than Coke. On top of this, at that time... There was this big introduction, this growing trend of people buying diet sodas. And so the leadership at Coca-Cola, they decided they needed to make a change and try to improve sales of their original brand. And they ended up creating this sweeter version of their soda. And they held some top secret taste tests and they found, very much to their delight, that this new recipe not only beat out their original recipe for Coca-Cola... But it also beat Pepsi in those blind tastings. And so they knew they had this winner on their hands. And in April of 1985, Coca-Cola, they introduced that new Coke to the world. And at the same time, they discontinued production of their original recipe. Now, this was a recipe. At that time, it had been bottled for 99 years, from 1886 until 1985. But the top brass at Coca-Cola, they said this was the right decision. Their chairman and their CEO, he said at that time it was the surest move ever made in business. And the president of Coca-Cola said something similar. He made this remark, I've never been as confident about a decision as I am about the one we're announcing today. Those are some famous last words because the public was furious over this change. Coca-Cola, they saw the number of daily phone calls coming in from consumers more than triple. Almost all of them were complaints about this change. The management at Coca-Cola, they had not taken into account that they were doing something more than simply improving the flavor of a drink. When they stopped making that original recipe of Coca-Cola, they'd taken away something that was more than a beverage. 
that red can, it was associated for American consumers with things like nostalgia, the good old days. It was seen as a tradition, a part of growing up or summer cookouts and picnics. Coca-Cola was even associated with patriotism in the 4th of July. One of the letters that Coca-Cola received at that time, the writer, he said, I don't think I'd be more upset if you were to burn the flag in our front yard. And so New Coke, it was a flop. But it wasn't because of the taste. It was because it was put forth as this replacement for something that Americans saw as more than just a soda. Coca-Cola was part of their American identity and part of the culture. And so it was only 79 days later, 79 days after introducing New Coke and stopping production on the original recipe and knowing that they had made this massive mistake, the executives at Coca-Cola announced that they would bring back the original Coca-Cola recipe. And so later that year in 1985, whenever you picked up a can of the original recipe Coca-Cola in those late months of that year, now you saw it labeled as Coca-Cola Classic. And sales for Coca-Cola Classic, they surged. They reestablished Coca-Cola as the dominant leader among all other soft drinks competing for a share of the market. New Coca was supposed to do that. It was supposed to boost sales. But funny enough, it was going back to the original, going back to the classic that accomplished the end goal of selling more cans of Coca-Cola. Now, going back to the original, this is something that is good to do in so many areas of life. Yeah, sometimes things can be improved. Of course they can. But there are plenty of times where we don't need something new. Rather, we need to go back to the basics or back to the original and be reminded of how good it is. And we want to do that today on The Inner Life. We want to go back to the original prayer that Jesus taught us. Sometimes we can rush through those words of the Our Father, but there's so much packed in that prayer. So today we want to look at this original prayer that's been with the church from the very beginning and hopefully walk away with a new appreciation for what we're saying each time we pray the Our Father. And joining us is our spiritual director here for the hour today and helping us look at this wonderful prayer. This, it's our, our original prayer of the church. It's uh, Father Joseph Johnson as our spiritual director. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. He's the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Uh, Father, welcome back to the program today. And so are you a Coke drinker? Are you a Pepsi drinker? Or do you go someplace else? Thank you, Josh. Good to be with you. And, you know, I am a Coke drinker, I have to say. And uh, I have to laugh because I vividly remember that switchover that you were describing uh, because my mother liked Coca-Cola. And so in the months preceding uh, that, that switchover, our garage became stockpiled with case after case after case of Coca-Cola because she was going to ride out the storm however long it took uh, before they would bring Coke Classic along uh, back to the fore. But, uh, but so I laughed at, at that uh, way that we, we don't do well with change, do we? Uh, mm, a lot of times, no. <laughs> but discovering the beauty of the original, that's, that's uh, I think, the theme that, that you want us to, to highlight here. And, and, of course, this is our original prayer, the one that, that Jesus himself taught us. And that's where we need to go. Uh, what is it the Lord wanted to teach us as he gave us this prayer? What can we learn from it? How can we live it? 
you know that's that's the the original beauty that we need to rediscover and find this prayer as the pattern for all prayer well and before we dive into the words of the our father it might be good to start just right before that. So the place that we take the words, we, we have a version of it in a couple of the other Gospels, but the one we usually use, the one that we pray at Mass, is from the sixth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. It's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And prior to those words of the Our Father, Jesus kind of gives these preliminary instructions He says, first of all, not to make a show of ourselves when we're praying, that we should go into some inner room. We should pray in secret. He also says not to babble like the pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. And sometimes this will be referred to as vain repetitions in prayer. And then Jesus says also that the Father knows what we need before we ask him. So there are kind of three different things that our Lord gives to us. And maybe we can take them one at a time. Uh, so let's start off by praying in private. How should we understand this? Because we are, we're obviously not in private when we're at Mass. But how do we understand going into that inner room, closing the door, praying in secret? I, I think the Lord is speaking about of an interiority of the heart, first of all. Uh, so before we, we talk about geography of where I'm going to pray externally, uh, are there, is the prayer coming from my lips uh, or is it coming from my heart? You know, am, I, am I just saying words? And am I saying words with an intention to connect to God or to impress other people? You know, those, those are, the I think, the purifications of the way we pray that the Lord is trying to point us to. And then certainly um, there are places uh, that we find more conducive to prayer. But, but the very notion that we, we say our Father means that this prayer is, is not strictly uh, a private prayer for me, mm, right. that, it doesn't, that it doesn't encompass anybody else. Even if I'm the only one there, I'm still referring to the whole body of believers. And, and certainly it's therefore legitimate and worthy and beautiful when I'm joined to the body of believers in church at Mass to pray it together. Okay, so the, as you're talking about that heart attitude, the one word that came to mind there also is humility, um, that when we approach God in prayer, like you said, are we doing it from a place where we're doing it for ourselves or we're really praying and wanting to be united to God? And so that humility seems like that's kind of what you're talking about there. Absolutely. The Lord, the reason he, he starts on this, he says, these others, they're praying that they may be seen by men. That's, that's what uh, it says right there. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the Lord is, is, is saying, don't do that. And, and so instead of being seen by men, we pray that we may be heard by God. Mm. If you want to substitute that. And that, that, that uh, disposition of humility, of course, is the proper stance for anyone before the Lord. Right. You know, he, he who is, uh, he the creator in me, the, the one who was created. Uh, he who owes nothing to anyone, I owe everything to him. You know, he who is all-powerful, I who am all-weak. <laughs> you know, so humility is definitely the, the proper stance there. 
So then moving forward, we have where Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words, that vain repetition. Um, how, do we, how do we understand this? This is something that Catholics get. Um, they have a lot of Protestants that will come after them and say, oh, you just repeat a Hail Mary again and again and again when you pray a rosary. What's, what's the difference between vain repetitions versus repetition in what we are praying? You know, that's very uh, good distinction to be made. You know, in the reform of the liturgy, actually, there were things that the, the council fathers had talked about, you know, re, uh, getting rid of redundant things. But everything that is repetition is not necessarily redundant, which is why we still uh, pray at Mass repeatedly, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, holy, holy, holy. We do have repetition but it's not redundant. And so then how do we apply that then to our own personal prayer? You know, we could talk about saying my prayers versus praying. You know, so we can go pray and not really engage our heart. It can just be our mouth. It can just be we're going through the motions. Anybody is liable to do that, you know, and, and that's, that's a danger. We need to be conscious of it. But there's also something about repetition that that isn't empty or hollow and just a vain exercise in, in mouthing words, but rather that allows us to enter more deeply. You know, that, that as we say this over and over, we we allow our hearts to to enter into it more and more. This actually the Orthodox have uh, this great, uh, what they call the Jesus prayer, you know, that, that they uh, pray over and over and over again. And again, not as a, as a vain repetition, not as useless uh, or redundant words, but to seek to center the heart more and more in the mystery. And so I think when we pray the rosary, you know, you and I have probably both been at places, Josh, and so the listeners have as well, where it's like a, a machine gun, you know, and it's just, just yep. rattling very, very quickly, right? Yeah. And, and uh, there is something that can get lost in that. Uh, and, and sometimes you'll hear spiritual directors uh, say it would be better to pray one Hail Mary slowly with meditation than to pray a hundred just rattling them off. Mm. Now, we could never get through the rosary if we just <laughs> slowed every single whole Hail, Hail Mary down that much. The repetition of the prayer is supposed to allow us to enter the mystery. Each ten Hail Marys there has a mystery attached to it. And so, so we're supposed to, to let that repetition of the prayer, we're not supposed to focus so much on the words of the prayer, but to let our minds uh, enter the mystery the first joyful mystery, the Annunciation, you know, and that's what through not having to think about the words of the Hail Mary so much, that they are uh, words that are in, in so deeply embedded in my heart, I don't have to think about them. Not that it's bad to think about them, but sometimes by having them just flow naturally from my heart, it allows me to, to go into the mystery of the Annunciation or the Visitation or the Nativity, whatever. We're, we're contemplating a moment. 
Well, so that, that we've gotten two of the three. And the third one is that God, our Father, he knows what we need before we ask of him. But then, as soon as Jesus says that, he says, this is how you are to pray. And very quickly has all of these different petitions, these different requests that we make. So we're still supposed to ask God for all the things that we need, even if he knows what we need from him. Um, this is one of those, I also think of, there's this this story that Jesus tells, one of the parables, where he talks about this woman who keeps on going before a judge. And the judge, Jesus says, is this unjust man. And he keeps on kind of pushing the woman off, says, I, I, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to listen to you. And she keeps on coming to him again and again and again, after day, you know, day after day after day. And to the point where the judge says, I'm so tired of dealing with her. I don't even care what she wants anymore. I'm just going to give her what she wants so that she'll stop pestering me. Um, there's kind of this, there's the, the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. And I always think of that moment where the main character, Andy Dufresne, he has been sending a letter once a week asking for funds so he can build a library there in the prison where he is. And when he finally gets a response that's favorable, he says, great, now I'm going to start asking and sending two letters a week just so that he can keep on getting response. So that squeaky wheel, getting the grease, getting the oil kind of thing, that, that seems to be where Jesus is directing us, even if God our Father knows what we need before we ask anything of him. Well, you know, it, it could seem like that, you know, uh, with this, is, is God just kind of getting rid of us, though, because we're a squeaky wheel or, or, or just that persistence? I want to, to, to suggest that perhaps if God simply gave us everything without, without us ever asking, that you and I would, would be monumentally ungrateful, that, that you and I would take everything for granted, and never give thanks and praise to the God who blesses us with everything. You know, I, I was just talking to my students yesterday and telling them, you know, if, if you stub your toe, you know, getting up in the morning, you're barefoot, you stub your toe on the corner of the bed, ouch, and now you're writhing in pain and you're going to limp all day, you know, and, you're, and you're, you're complaining about it and all that, that's one little thing that went wrong, uh, whereas everything else of your body is, is functioning normally, right? But if we never had that one thing go wrong, how often do we ever give thanks to the fact that everything of my body is going well? We don't. We take it for granted. And I think the gifts of God you and I receive every day without even noticing, we so often fail to render him thanks. And what does Jesus do each time he prays, each time he's going to, to break bread? You know, he's, he pauses and gives thanks to the Father. So I think by introducing us to a way of prayer that asks uh, for things that God is a, already knows that we need, uh, that, that is uh, a, a way of, of prayer that, that is seeking things, uh, that, that we need, uh, that, that God wants to give us, 
Jesus is setting us up to be grateful, to recognize the gifts of God and be grateful, and to from that build our trust that God does indeed hear us when we speak to him. Yeah, I, I, I like that, that it's, it's a way to build our gratefulness for all the blessings that he bestows upon us. And I should also point out in that parable I was talking about, Jesus, I think, uses that unjust or dishonest judge as kind of a, it sets up and says, if somebody who's unjust will grant somebody who's persistent, if somebody who is dishonest will give a favorable answer to somebody who's persistent and keeps asking, how much more will God, who is perfectly honest, perfectly just, who is love and mercy, how much more will he give us if we continue to ask him for the things that we want or the things that we need? Um, you know, there's that distinction there. Um, and how much more grateful then at that point, I think, going back to your original point, Father, will we be in our own lives? In, indeed. Showing how we who are imperfect in the way we love one another, how, how we answer each other in, in, in these moments of needs, these requests that come, you know, how much more so our Father in heaven, who is perfect and perfectly loving, uh, that, that we can have confidence in being heard and being cared for. Our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life, Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. And today we're looking at the Our Father, that original prayer that Jesus gave us. And what has helped you to have that better understanding of what you're praying each time that you say those words of the Our Father, when did you start truly praying? Not just reciting those words, but actually praying with the meaning of those words. And how has that changed your life? How has that helped you to grow closer to God? How has God blessed you because of entering into that prayer and understanding what you're praying? And we're going to look, we're going to kind of take piece by piece that prayer coming up next here on The Inner Life. But we also want to invite your phone calls here at 888-914-9149, And you can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. More to come here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us. Inner Life at RelevantRadio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. And our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Johnson, a regular voice here on The Inner Life, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and he's the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Today, talking about the Our Father, 
sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, and how we can understand that prayer better. How have you been able to enter into that prayer, understand parts of it better, and how has that helped your prayer life? How has it helped you to grow closer to God? Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father, uh, maybe before we go kind of line by line or phrase by phrase in the prayer and kind of look at what we really are praying, I thought it might be important to point out too that the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is broken up into four different sections, the entire last section uh, of that, it's, it's just on Christian prayer, and the bulk of that is spent just going through the Our Father. So if somebody wants to go into far greater detail than we can in just limited time that we have in this hour right now, that's a perfect place to turn for a more in-depth look at the model prayer that Jesus gave us. Indeed, and you know, I think sometimes people are put off by the the the, the title catechism, and you think it's something dry or it's something just for children, and it's just about rote memorization or whatever. But indeed, the catechism of the Catholic Church is one of the great gifts that we have received uh, in the modern age. That this wonderful uh, resource that is so underutilized by Catholics. It's not just a place to go fact check, okay, what is the dogmatic reality of some particular aspect of the faith. You can read through the Catechism for spiritual reading. It is so rich and beautiful and has passages from the Fathers of the Church and uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas and from the, obviously from the Scriptures uh, littered throughout it. It's a, it's a wonderful resource. And that fourth pillar, the fourth uh, part of the, the Catechism on prayer, does give this amazing commentary line by line. So since you and I are just going to graze the surface of the Our Father, it would be great if, if our listeners would know that the Catechism has this wonderful part for uh, that they can go and read about and meditate on each one of these, uh, the, the seven petitions of, of the Our Father and, and what they mean and unpack them. Well, so diving in here then, Father, um, we start off with addressing God, uh, more specifically the first person of the Trinity as our Father. And this is something that my understanding is it really wasn't done prior to Jesus introducing this concept in his public ministry, even though we're so used to it, you know, 2,000 years later. We we are so, it's commonplace for us to think of God as our Father. But back when Jesus was originally saying this, it would have been a completely new concept for those listening to his teaching. And, you know, you talked about our Father, that it, it not only makes it me alone, but I am addressing God the Father as part of Father of the community of the Church, it also really personalizes uh, this for us. It speaks to the relationship that God calls each of us to have with Him. Indeed. I think, you know, so many times we have a tendency to make God an abstraction. You know, uh, that God is up there, He created us, He created the world, He set things in motion. Sometimes we, we you know, fall into a way of, of acting as if God was this clockmaker. He just set things in motion, but he's not really involved. You know, and there can be this distance. Uh, we can acknowledge the reality of God, but not enter a relationship with God, let alone a relationship of love uh, with God. And so to have Jesus invite us to pray, our Father moves us away from that abstraction 
bridges that gap because that's what the incarnation does bridges the gap between the holy one and the sinful ones between the creator and the creatures between heaven and earth uh, jesus himself in his very person does this uh, and he's teaching us uh, to pray acknowledging that that gap is closed in christ who teaches us how to pray now uh, the Jewish people usually wouldn't re- refer to God. They, they wrote uh, the, the name of God without vowels. They, you wouldn't pronounce it. Uh, you know, the, there was this, uh, we, out of our sinful lips, we can't even speak his name. Right. And Jesus invites us to this familiarity, which is why in the translations of the Mass that, that uh, came out, what, 11 years ago now, I think, or close to 11 years ago, when we all had to kind of relearn uh, a few responses at Mass, the introduction to the Our Father was was cleaned up to, to be more precise, and now we hear that every time at Mass. We dare to say Our Father. And and sometimes the kids will be the ones that notice and say, well, whoa, whoa, why do we have to dare? Because before Jesus, no one would dare to be so familiar with God. But Jesus uh, establishes familiarity with God. And familiarity not just in terms of, of being around each other, but literally familia, family relationship. You know, sometimes we'll speak a little bit sloppily. We'll, we'll call all of humanity children of God. And, and certainly we're all loved by God and, and we're all created by God. But to be a child of God technically is a gift of baptism. Uh, It's not something that belongs to everyone uh, through our common humanity. To be a child of God is actually something that results from the adoption that happens through the grace of baptism. That we are incorporated into the mystical body of Christ, and it's in Christ's voice that we share as members of the mystical body of the Church. It's in Christ's voice that we can pray father that's that's something that sometimes gets lost on us as well uh and to 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 cherish that adoption in christ Mm -hmm. to cherish uh that intimate bond of love established with god despite the fact that we're creatures despite the fact that we're sinners it's a gift it's a gift to be treasured the other thing that I like here too is, um, you know, you were talking about that sacred name of God, how our sinful lips aren't even able to utter it out loud. We should, it should not pass across our lips. And the next couple of things, our Father in heaven, along with hallowed be your name. They establish that God is in a holy, sacred place, and he himself, even his name, is holy and sacred. Yes, and I think that particular petition is there as a corrective to thinking, oh, now that we're all buddy-buddy with God, I can just use his name however I want. No, we are invited to a familiarity, but immediately then comes this, this reminder Cherish that name as something with reverence, devotion. That's a holy name, uh, and 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 respect it. Don't just say, 
you know, uh, I, I can call on God now, so I can just use that name. And of course, that's that's what we find is is so often uh, people will use the Lord's name in vain, you know, which is which is a great sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it's that balance that we're not distant from God, but our familiarity should not lead us to uh, be careless uh, and, and not give God's name the proper respect. So now we come to where we start asking for things. And they're kind of done in more of a declarative way, but thy kingdom come. And I think this to me might be the most frightening of the different things that we ask for in the Our Father because I have to then say, do I really mean these words? Either I am or I'm not part of God's kingdom. Either I am a citizen of the kingdom or I'm not, and I need to make sure that I'm in this right relationship with God. Um, I need to be in a state of grace if I really am praying, if I say, God, I want your kingdom to come about here, right here, right now. So I need to be going to confession regularly. I need to be receiving the Eucharist often. I need to I need to live that life that God is calling me to live, to know, to love, to serve him, to avoid sin, to share his love to those around me in the things that I do, the things that I say, every action, every word I speak. But the other thing this makes me think of is if I am living this way, if I'm trying to make myself ready so that I really can truly speak those words, your kingdom come, it's not only that I'm asking for God's kingdom to come as a a hopeful citizen of that kingdom, I'm also working to bring God's kingdom into the here and now. Absolutely. And, and you know, this is where it goes back to that context of, of where Jesus teaches us this prayer uh, within the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus, in that whole Sermon on the Mount, is teaching us a new way of life. He's teaching us what the life of the kingdom looks like. And, and so to pray for his kingdom to come means to pray that this way of life that the whole Sermon on the Mount lays out, that that's what, what we begin to experience, that that's what we begin to contribute to those around us, that we live like that. You know, and, and his kingdom, it can be interpreted uh, as just the kind of remote, there will be an end to the world, right? We, we profess that in the creed, you know, that, that Christ will come. Uh, and this time he's not going to come as a baby in a manger. He's going to come uh, as, as the conquering king uh, and judge uh, the living and the dead. So we do pray for that, uh, that ultimate consummation of all time, of all creation, uh, and on the last day, as we call it. But we're also praying in the here and the now that that, that kingdom is established first in my heart, then in my family, in my workplace, my neighborhood, my parish, my wider community in the world in general. How do we uh, become good stewards of the gifts that God has given us through living out our daily uh, duties of our state and life, living out our vocation? How can we extend the kingdom of Christ from where it is established in my heart to those around and begin to, to conform the world uh, to resemble that kingdom? Uh, you know, and this is also where we get beautiful lines like St. Catherine of Siena saying, all the way to heaven is heaven. 
you know, that, that, that is, we're already experiencing a union with God. Not a complete union with God, not a perfect union with God, uh, but, but heaven is, you know, living in that, that, that totality of a union with God. But already here, that union with God is beginning, and we can develop that more, and then we can reorder the creation around us to resemble that kingdom, uh, because original sin disordered it. There was a harmony when God created the world that, that Adam and Eve's sin uh, distorted and, and kind of blew up the, the original justice, the original harmony of our creation. How can we, uh, cooperating with God's grace, begin to restore some of that harmony? Mm. I, I like that image there, Father. Uh, so let's move on. I, I know there's so much we could talk about here in every piece of the prayer, but I, I want to try and get through as much as we can this hour. Uh, the next line, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This again, to me, it speaks to allowing God's will not simply to be done on earth in that general sense, but like you said, as it starts in my heart, then in my family, in my work, in, in my community that I'm allowing God's will to be done in my life first and foremost. And, you know, if all of us, if we all had this mindset to allow God's will to be done in each of our lives, to be perfectly done, the the impact on the world around us, I would have to think, would be astounding. It would. The first thing, though, I think we need to purify our ideas about the will of God. You know, we hear the will of God, and it, and it sometimes lands on our shoulders like a ton of bricks. Mm. Okay, you know, God's will. And it, it seems like something foreign to us. It seems like something coercive uh, to us. It, it, it seems like I'm a private, and the general is barking orders. And the general doesn't care about the welfare of the private. The general just has something he wants done. And so I'm getting bossed around, bullied around, and, and there's an or else. Do my will or else. You know, there comes the lightning bolt. So I don't really have a choice, and I'm begrudging and resentful, and okay, sure, we'll do it your way, God, because you're bigger than I am. This is, is the way that, that I mean, it, it sounds hilarious to describe it that way, uh, but too often, that's actually our attitude. So we need to think about this will of God. You know, what is the will of God? The will of God is the best thing we could ever hope for. You know, that, that if you and I are arm wrestling with God about my will versus his will, the best thing we could ever do for ourselves is lose. Because God loves us more than we love ourselves. And God's eyesight is better than our eyesight. We can guess at what will make us happy. He knows what will make us happy. And because he loves us, he wants us to be happy. That, that to, to, to discover that the will of God is something in which I place my hope and not simply a burden to be born. That the will of God answers the deepest longings of my heart. That my fulfillment is in that will. That will is what unpacks my potential. And that will is what leads me to the blessings 
blessing upon blessing upon blessing that God wants to give me, even here on earth. And not just, okay, be a good stoic, right? Suck it up, carry out God's will here and now, and be miserable for your earthly existence, but then payday comes when you die. Because that's another common way that we can think of it. Right. But it's not that at all. The will of God is something beautiful. Not easy. And, it, and, and, and when I say it leads us to happiness, that doesn't mean there's not sacrifice and suffering along the way. But, but that's part of the disorder of creation. Everybody, you, can, you don't have to be a Christian to experience sacrifice and suffering. That's part of our human existence. Right. But, but by doing the will of God, he gives us the strength for whatever sacrifices and burdens are, are there and leads us to the blessings. The will of God is beautiful. The will of God is a father who says, Oh, my child, look what I have in store for you. Not a general barking orders, do this or else. And let's just be honest about our own, talk about humility. We have to start with humility when we pray. If God simply wanted work to be done, do you really think he would have invited us, Josh? I mean, I don't know about you, but me? You know, I, I, I am thankful all the time that God would deign to pick such an imperfect person as me to cooperate in his work. If God simply wanted tasks accomplished, he would have sent the angels and they would have done it better and faster. Right. So it's not that I'm going to do God a favor by doing some of his dirty work for him. It's God invites me to participate in his work of redemption. And by participating in that, I myself am transformed. That's what the will of God is about. I, I love that reflection, Father. Um, there's just so much, again, that we are not going to be able to get into. So I'm going to recommend, if you've just joined us as we're talking today with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, about the prayer that Jesus gave us, the Our Father, um, if we aren't able to get to so many different aspects that we'd like to here on the hour, go back to the catechism. And you'll see there in the last section of the catechism, there's an entire uh, portion that is devoted to the Our Father. But I also want to open up our phone lines. If you have a question about the Our Father, or maybe there's a part that you find difficult to understand, uh, maybe you've come to a better understanding of something in the Our Father. Our studio line open for your call, 888-914-9149. We'll continue looking at the different parts that we pray through in this prayer that Jesus gave us coming up next here on the Relevant Radio app and on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Inner Life Show or email us innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. Today, talking about the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus gave us, and uh, trying to understand better what we really are praying 
when we say these words, whether we pray it uh, on our own, pray it maybe in the rosary, pray it at mass, wherever we are, that we have a better understanding, that we can enter in more deeply into the meaning of those words that we pray, following as Jesus taught us in our studio line, 888-914-9149. And Father, um, we're, we're here at this point, give us this day our daily bread. And here we're kind of getting into what we need physically, but um, the the thing that it really speaks to me about is don't get so focused on trying to ask for everything you need for the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. Just focus on today. God will provide for you today. I, I think that's right. Uh, both physical needs and spiritual needs, too. Right, right. Uh, you know, the fathers of the church w- would say, of course, that that the daily bread that we're, we should most be concerned about is the Holy Eucharist, right. the bread of yes. life. So we're trusting God will give us the grace that we need today, and God will give us uh, the, the physical help that we need today as well. Body and soul, uh, God our Father is is going to care for us. And by that daily, it points us to what some of the saints have called live in the grace of the present moment. You know, in, in the scriptures would say, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, right? You know, let's, let's not worry. I might get run over by the bus today crossing the street. So all of that angst about tomorrow would be wasted time, right? So, so just today, right here, right now, let me focus. How do I encounter God here? How can the Lord help me? How do I do his will right here, right now? There's something about immediacy that comes. This day, our daily bread. It's a, re- it's a repetition, not not a not a redundancy to say give us this day our daily bread. It's an emphasis. It's really hammering home the grace of the present moment, right here, right now. And by by daily bread. So again, on on the spiritual side, the Eucharist uh, most of all. But on the on the natural side, you know, it doesn't say give us this day our daily Ferrari. Uh, it doesn't say <laughs> give us this day our daily vacation to Hawaii. It doesn't say, you know, it's... it's right, this even our daily lobster thermidor, you know. It's, let's <laughs> right, just go back right. to the basic things that we need, yeah. Right, you know, and and so especially, you know, uh, today at the Daily Mass, the, the Gospel spoke about, you know, the love of money uh, being the, the root of all evil. You know, not money itself, but the love of money. This petition brings us back to needs versus wants. You know, all of Madison Avenue, every marketer in the world is trying to convince you that your wants are actually needs. But what are our needs? Our needs are very few. Our needs are very simple. And part of the fact that, that you know, that we, we struggle to celebrate in our society is because every day looks like a feast day. We live every day in a self-indulgent manner. We don't have a sense of what needs are because we're so used to every want of ours or most of our wants or so many of our wants getting gratified. Yeah. And this purifies that back to a simplicity. Give me what I need. And by that, I trust you, Lord. You know, that, that you're not going to say yes to everything I ever ask, right? Because that's the thing. There's boldness, confidence in prayer. Yet God isn't going to always give me the exact thing I ask for because sometimes he gives me something better. Sometimes he sees that what I'm asking for is actually detrimental to my health, physically or spiritually. And so he's not going to give it to me 
and he's not giving it as a way of ignoring me. He's not giving it uh, because he dislikes me. He's withholding it because it wouldn't be good for me. And that's where you have to have that trust in the Lord to underline, underlie all of this. Father, let's go to Krista. She's listening in Orange County, California, and she's asking uh, about probably one of the most misunderstood portions of the Our Father. Hi, Krista. Thanks for calling into the Inner Life today. You're on the air with Father Joseph Johnson. Hi there. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm really enjoying this discussion. Breaking up a little bit. I hope you can hear me okay. Absolutely. Go ahead, Krista. All right. So um, at the end of the Our Father, I've prayed it my whole life, and I have taught it to my three sons. And I always find myself hesitating, funny enough, at the last line, because it seems somewhat incongruent with the God that I know. And of course, that's the line about lead us not into temptation. And I find myself wanting to edit it and say, um, protect us from it, from temptation or let us not be led into temptation. So could you help clarify that for me, please? Well, Krista, you have touched on something that has actually been uh, a, a, a question since the early church. What does this mean, lead us not into temptation? Would God actually lead us to temptation? Pope Francis himself just uh, recently talked about uh, the fact that the way we translate this prayer, you know, has different, uh, there's a different emphasis depending on how, what words you choose. Now, in French and in Spanish, the notion that comes out through the, their translations is, don't let us fall when we're tempted, which is, is very different than God taking you by the hand and saying, here, I'm going to throw you into, you know, a temptation pit and see if you can resist it. Right? That's when we say God is leading us into temptation, we say, Don't do it. We have this sense of him pulling us towards temptation and say, No, 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 don't don't do that. Instead, Lord, temptations are gonna happen. But don't let me stumble when I'm tempted. That's I think the the meaning that's there. Sometimes the the word temptation we if we go back to, to, to the Greek, it can be more uh, a test or a trial. You know, don't let us be put to the test or don't let us fail the test. Does that help you to get a better understanding of that? Well, and unfortunately, Father, we are down to about our last 60 seconds of the hour oh. here. So, Krista, I hope that is helpful. And uh, this is uh, so, there's so much to go into here. Uh, Father, we're probably going to have to just revisit this another time. And, we'll uh, do it. Try, try and go into more detail on some of these different aspects. Maybe even make it maybe a two-day uh, one-two punch on the Our Father. Uh, Father, in our last about 10, 15 seconds, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Joseph Johnson, our spiritual director for the hour, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. And of course, you can always go back and listen to the full podcast. It'll be available here coming up shortly this afternoon on RelevantRadio.com and on the Relevant Radio app. And want to encourage you to stay with us as we're going to have Mass coming up here in about, oh, 40 seconds. Uh, Father Edward Looney, the celebrant today. And coming up on Monday, Father Dave Heaney is going to join us here on The Inner Life. We're going to talk about anger and 
how we can we can make sure that we're not letting anger get its roots in us. I hope you join us for The Inner Life on Monday, and hope you have a wonderful and blessed weekend.